Hey guys, welcome back to the BMW Block Podcast, Season 2, Episode 6. I'm once again joined by Nate, and today we have a few interesting topics. Hey Nate, how are you? Good, how are you doing today, Horatio? Doing well, doing well. Staying away from the cold in Chicago. I did some uh, <laughs> charging test actually the other day, and it was quite cold outside, so um, trying to stay inside today. All right, so what do we yeah, have today? It's... Quite a few topics, right? Yeah, we got a few things we can talk about here. Um, but you start uh, with the big hitter. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, so let's maybe outline them. So we're gonna have the BMW Z4 M40i, the six-speed manual. So we want to talk about that. In the previous episode, we kind of hinted that we drove a, uh, a very special <laughs> car, or that I drove a special car. I couldn't really um, tell you which one it was. Uh, we're under an embargo, but now we can talk about that driving experience and what's coming down the line with the Z4. And we can cover also, I have a BMW iX M60 long-term press car, and I did a uh, DC fast charge the other day, and I've learned some new things about the uh, charging curve in the iX, the latest update. So we're going to share some thoughts on that. Then Nate, I guess you're going to tell us about your 760i press car that you had as well. Maybe we talk about the technology in that. And then we're going to finish with something different maybe this time around. We're going to talk about the Tesla Cybertruck. It's a big topic. And then we can see if that has any impact on BMW or if BMW should even consider a luxury pickup truck. Never know. All right. So let me ask you directly. What do you think about a Z4 M40i with a six-speed manual? Oh, man. Uh, you know, when you told me about it, um, you know, back when we were down there testing, uh, it sounds like the perfect setup, right? Fun little roadster, convertible. Uh, that, that, that engine's perfect especially if paired with a, a six speed, um, which I think will just be perfect combination. I think that car will be a ton of fun. Um, you got in it. What would you, what was your initial impressions? Yes. I mean, uh, it was a fairly short drive. So I think it was only about 40, 45 minutes. So it wasn't too long, but it was enough to, um, to get a feel of what the car it's like. And I guess the moment that I saw the car, I liked the fact that it was in a very different color. So I remember seeing this car in a parking lot and I was like, what's that? And, uh, and that was the Z4 M40i six-speed manual. He had a, a San Remo green frozen, so frozen San Remo looks green. amazing. Yeah, it looks really good actually in real life. I mean, honestly, uh, the color just pops so, so nice. I'm not sure how easy it is to maintain. And we always have discussion about frozen <laughs> colors, but I'm sure there'll be some other color choices from what I, from what I heard. But... Yeah, just get into the car. Essentially, it's really the same Z4 as before as far as the design. No major changes. Inside, it looks exactly the same, so I don't expect that. There might be some maybe unique trims and leather combinations, but I guess we'll find out. Uh, I believe at the end of January, so I guess um, start of communication is the last week of January, so we'll know more about pricing options, availability, and all of that. But just driving the car, I mean, immediately I noticed the short shifter that's on the Z4. So we've talked about the six-speed manuals in BMWs. They're not great. They're okay. Uh, BMW never really put in the effort to improve them over time. So I was kind of shocked that they actually took the time to improve <laughs> it in the Z4. I'm expecting to see that in the M2 maybe. Um, but yeah, just the short shifter immediately, I noticed that. And then when I started to to roll the gears, just just a lot easier, right? It's not, a, it's not that vague robbery feeling that you're getting. They're very precise. Um, it was just really easy to shift gears with this car. Um, I always struggle. Well, that's with good want. to hear. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I always struggle. It, Go ahead. I was just going to say, because, you know, in the Z4, you sit down a little bit lower, your hands a little bit higher. Um, you want that to be short, you know, a shorter throw, a little bit more, you know, click here and slot in a little bit better. Yeah. Have you driven a 
six-speed manual recently in a BMW? Uh, just the just the G eighty seven M two that we that we tested. Right. So, do you always feel like that you can ever get really smooth shifts in like in a bit line from like first to second? First to second has always been uh, just a terrible shift for BMW. Even way back to my my E forty six one first to second, like it's it is terrible to get first to second. I don't know why, but yeah, you're right. I think with the the G eighty seven and same thing with the previous M two, it's just. It's, it's a little rubbery. Yeah, exactly. So I think they fixed that in the Z4M40i. So hopefully it's not, it was not a placebo effect, you know, that the car had on me. But honestly, uh, it just felt a lot smoother to shift from first to second and then, you know, um, from second to third and so on and so forth. So um, a really, really nice transmission. Of course, I had to ask, you know, was there any influence from the Toyota Supra? And... Um, I mean, the answer that I got from the product manager, of course, we're going to talk to the engineers in the future and try to get more information about that, was the fact that, of course, yes, we looked at the Supra, we saw that people like that transmission. But at the same time, I remember talking to the product manager from Germany earlier this year when I drove the um, Z4 M40i with the uh, with the automatic. We're talking about the Supra and all of that. And he said that when Supra came to BMW to, to build a car, basically, they said, we want a different kind of feel in the transmissions that we have for our Supra to kind of match the character of the Toyota, not the BMW. And BMW was happy at that time because they wanted to have kind of two different products so they not be like a uh, identical in many ways, the, the, mm-hmm. the way they shift and the way they drive. But I guess now they realize that the manual in the, <laughs> in the Supra is really good. And I guess they um, they learned some lessons from that. They did tell me that it's, it's still different than in the Supra. I don't know what they mean by that. They didn't go into a lot of details. But um, I guess they talked about the linkage and the bushings and all of that being different. But I will have to drive again the Supra. I only drove it a little bit and briefly. I think Nico drove it um, a lot last year. And I have to drive it back to back to kind of see, you know, what they feel like, you know, if they're comparable or not. But overall, yeah, absolutely an improvement when it comes to the six-speed manual. Um, I also hope that they're going to bring that to maybe the M2 and the M3 and the M4. You'll be ashamed not to use that transmission. Uh, maybe in, in in the next few years because they still have an M2 and M3 and M4 running for the next few years. But other than that, I mean, the car, it's it's great, yeah. Yeah, and I think I think paired with that uh, B4, B58 engine, it's just that thing has so much good low-end torque on it that that car is just going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it was a rocket. Honestly, I, I forgot what it feels like to have a lightish BMW to drive. I mean, I drove it earlier this year with the, with the uh, X-Speed Automatic, and I loved it. I even said that this might be the best driving BMW today, and this one just reinforced that thought that I had. Honestly, it's just different. I mean, all these cars are crazy fast, the M2, the M3s, the M4s, the M5s. It's just not the same feeling. You sit low, like you said. You feel connected yep. to the car at all time. It's that cocoon, driver-oriented feeling around you. You have the iDrive 7 in it with a small screen. It's not overwhelming. So the entire experience was really, really nice. Of course, the driving experience, it's also a lot better than, I would say, than the regular M40i because they took the rear axle steering from the M240i, which I know that car, it's really, really nice to drive. And also the uh, M-Active differential from that car, it's in this one. I do nice. have- I do have some questions for them. Like, what's the difference between the M differential that's currently in the M40i and what's the difference between the one from the M240i? So I'm actually very curious to find that out when they're ready to talk more about this because they said that they're different. So I don't know what that means. Yeah, um, I wonder. I wonder if it's just a you know how it engages things like that might be different. Exactly. Um, when you talk about shifting, though, how how's the clutch feel? 
Yeah, so see, that's that's the thing. The clutch is not as heavy as I feel like it's in my 1M, for example, or the M2s. So it was a lot easier to, like I said, to to get those smooth shifts. Um, it's not tiring. Sometimes driving my 1M or even the M2, I feel like I'm, I'm constantly tired. You know, using that clutch just feels heavy and and springy in many ways. But this one is just a lot smoother. So I don't know if they've done any improvements to that or maybe just a combination of the new transmission with the engine and all of that 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 felt that felt different so i have to see i mean i still have a lot of questions honestly it was just a just a really <laughs> brief drive i also want to talk about the suspension with them a little bit more because they did tell me that they they revised the dampers but i want to know more what the mechanical changes are i mean i understand the software changes that's that's easier to do than the than the hardware one so i want to know if they've done any uh, any improvements on that on that area as well and I guess the, the one thing that I've noticed immediately by driving the car was the fact that it has a staggered setup. So we got 20 inch in the back, 285, I believe, and the 19 front, 255, 265. Um, but because of that, you know, you're losing a little bit of the balance of the car. So yep. it's 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 a little bit more tail happy, which is nice because that's kind of what I want in that car, you know, because it's lighter and all of that. So I did feel the uh, the rear end stepping out a little bit. I was driving with Nick uh, Nick Gerstner, the product manager, and I pushed the car at some point, and and I saw him, you know, kind of like being worried for a second. But I <laughs> I had all the nanny controls on, and I and I knew that the car it's kind of it's it's gonna solve that difficult uh, angle that I took basically. But um, yeah, you know, just um, just a fantastic drive, honestly. Um, I saw the reaction actually on some forums. Of course, I saw it on our social media and comments, but I read some forums and uh, and people are willing to buy the car. They even said that because of our review, they put their deposit down, which was like, wow, that's kind of cool. But, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I know. That was interesting. But it's uh, it's funny how many people are interested in that car. And I saw some people willing to cancel their M2 orders to go for the Z4 M40i. So, I mean, it doesn't really kind of surprise me because after driving the M2 this summer, I mean, it is a it's a big car now. It's big, it's heavy, uh, it's more an M3 than it is an M2. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, like you were saying, you know, it's smaller yeah. and lighter. That that's what people are wanting. That you know, enthusiast drivers want. Um, how yeah. many are going to buy? Like you said, hopefully, it's good to hear that a few of them have already kind of put a down payment because that's how we keep getting manuals is people do buy them. So hopefully, yes. they go out and buy a few more. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? Everybody talks about, I just actually made this joke on social media that everybody talks <laughs> about wagons, we want wagons, we want manuals. No one buys them. Exactly. And then they drive off with the next five, you know, or something like that. So I'm like, okay, this is your chance right now. BMW give you something. Uh, it's it's more just than just a six-speed manual. So they've done quite a few upgrades to the car. So you're not just getting a six-speed manual with the same package. So now you have a reason to actually buy the car it's actually not that expensive either i think it's the entire package is somewhere around 3500 dollars over the base msrp so that's about seventy thousand dollars, i guess for the car which is not bad if you compare this to maybe to a porsche boxster which is a lot more expensive um so decent price i guess for today's standards you know maybe a few years ago that would have been a 50 60 <laughs> car but that's that's changed so I'm actually very, very interested to see how many people will actually buy the card. It's not limited by any means. Um, they said that they're going to produce as many as they can. I think um, the production ends in sometime spring or somewhere 2026. Production begins in March 2024. So two years. Um, U.S. market is the main. It's the main market for the car. They, um, they even the product team from here. I said in my review, they flew to Germany to 
Tesla Z4 a few times to make sure that it's the six the six speed transmission is refined for what the US customers usually expect and want and all of that. So really a card tailored for the US market in many, many, many ways. I think it'll be offered in certain markets. I think the UK will get it, Germany will get it as well, but not everyone. Like I think Australia said that they're not gonna bring their car. So we'll have to see what's the global demand. And I'm definitely interested in the US demand for the car. So it'll be quite interesting. Yeah, have they? Uh, have you seen or have they said how many uh, regular Z4s they've sold so far, or how that's going for sales? So I, th- I think I read somewhere that um, I think for the year, I think they only saw like fourteen hundred Z4s or something like that, like really, really low number. So yeah, I remember it always. I think it's always historically only been a few thousand per year, yeah. so yeah, uh, that's so about right on par. Um, but this gives that option. I think probably the best setup. I mean, if you're wanting to get a Z4, uh, I mean, this combination is just going to make it so much fun. Yeah. And it's in it's a future classic. I mean, there is absolutely no doubt that this will be a future classic. It might take 20, 30 years, but it will be a future classic. I mean, I constantly see the the Z lineup that BMW USA has in their classic fleet. And, yep. and I remember seeing them even 10 years ago when I was not that excited about them, but now I am. You know, so I feel like this will be kind of the same way. I mean, it's really the last of its kind. There is no other Z4 roaster planned, um, even on on, on the electric um, uh, drivetrain. So if there will be one, it's not going to come for the next, I mean, probably <laughs> seven, eight, ten years, probably so after 2030. So there's nothing planned until 2030 for sure. And if you will come, you'll probably be all electric. So completely, completely different than what we get today. And um, this is the car to get, honestly. I mean, I don't yeah, see the Z cars, they, they always age well, you know, I mean, you yeah. can look at some of the original Z threes and Z fours and they still look good today. Right. Yeah. So, and this, this current generation, uh, I saw the, I saw the, uh, frozen green and I was like, wow, that, that looks amazing. You know? So yeah. I think it's, it's just another car that's just going to continue to age well. Yeah. This is a car that kind of, it, it's kind of hard to find it any faults. Right. Of course, when we drive the car, I'm sure we'll find something there, but if, if you look at the design, even when the car came out, people were like, oh, that's not a good design. But now looking back and seeing all the other BMW products that came out, this is a really nice car. I mean, it's a good looking yeah. car. It's spacious. It's got a lot of cargo space compared to what was before. Um, the interior, now you're not getting the iDrive 8 and all the big screens. So you have all the physical buttons, very analog. I mean, this is really what people want. So, I mean, Truly, this is exactly the car that everybody's been asking for for quite some time. Of course, there's some pundits that said, well, you know, it would be nice if it was a S58 engine in it. And I remember, you know, asking the product manager um, earlier this year, we, we talked with some other journalists as well, and everybody asked the question why there is no Z4M or an S58 in that car. And apparently it was, it was more of a packaging thing where the entire mm-hmm. front firewall will have to be changed. And I, I guess it was a costly thing more than anything else. So it's probably a cost thing than... Uh, we can do it. So, I mean, I'm sure they can do it, but it, it would have probably been very expensive for a very low volume car. And uh, this car feels like an M car. I mean, even with the A-Speed Automatic, it really felt like an M car uh, more than anything yeah, else. Yeah, it's it's going to feel, yeah, it's going to feel a lot like the M cars because it's it's just the power to weight ratio, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I can see how they could not fit, fit an M engine in there. I mean, that you look at the front of all the M cars now, there's a reason why there's all those grills and things like that. There's cooling and airflow mm-hmm. and the Z4 just doesn't quite have that space. So um, yeah, add in firewall and, and the packaging, I can see why it doesn't fit. But I think 
I think the tuning and that engine, we, we all love that engine. Mm. Um, I, I think it's just going to be a great, great package. Yeah. So I think when spring comes, I think we might have to go to uh, either uh, being up at Formal Center, West Coast or East Coast and put a car on the track because I feel like that'll be a really good test because now we drove the 1M on track. We drove the M2C as the previous generation, the M2, the M3. So now we have really good comparison base and, and we can really, you know, give an educated, uh, you know, answer. Is this better than some of the M cars that are available today? So I think that's, that's going to be a fun trip that we have to plan. Yeah, that'd be a fun one. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So that's the that's the Z4M40i. Honestly, the response has been extremely positive. I've seen some Toyota forums picking up the news as well. So I guess they might even pick up some customers from Toyota, which is great for BMW. So um, this might be a successful product. But I'm still curious to see after two years how many they've actually sold. So I'll, I'll make a note to follow up in two years and say, okay, let's take a look <laughs> now and see if people really, you know, put their money or their mouth is or whatever that exactly. So, um, yeah, so that's that topic. All right. What's next? You want to talk about your 760i? Yeah, 760. So it's been a little while since I drove that. I drove that earlier this year. Um, but you asked uh, recently, you know, to wrap up kind of what were the best vehicles I drove this year. Mm -hmm. And that's on there. I definitely put that on there. Um, I only picked two and that was, that's on there. And I think the reason for it is, you know, a lot of times in the past with like seven series or luxury BMWs, people would always get and be like, oh, this is nice. You know, like it's definitely, you know, a little bit more luxurious, mm -hmm. but I think this is the first time that I've had people get in and go, wow, you know, like this is amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I, every person that got into it or, you know, saw it go by was just like, that is amazing. Like that is a fantastic interior like it looks luxurious feels luxurious like this is where i want to be you know i think i got roped into driving a few times to dinner because it's just like well it's got the seven we're, we're taking that mm -hmm. you know um so that's the first time i think i've ever really had that happen in a bmw for me um to where it wasn't all about the driving performance um it was all about the luxury right um, and it was always fun to get all those people in there and go, well, it's still a BMW and put my foot down and get it to go. Cause it, you know, it's still got, got people surprised, but, mm -hmm. uh, it was, a, it was a great car. Yeah. So what did you like about the, the interior? Um, I, I like that. It, it seems like no one, not a single seat was like neglected. Right. So mm -hmm. like if you're in the passenger seat, you're in the, it wasn't just a, a focus on the passenger back seat, you know, a lot of times it's just that passenger back seat gets the focus for these like luxury sedans. Mm -hmm. But uh, even like the passenger seat, um, all of them had felt like they were special places to be. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I, and I think that was the, the, the great part about it. all the little details. Um, I know a lot of people have given like all the crystal controls a little bit of flack because, you know, it shows shines light around it. But I thought that was really neat. Um, I thought, uh, the, the, the moods with all the different lightings and stuff, everyone who got into that car basically loved all those little details and all the fun little things it could do. Um, it was just very well thought out, very clean. Um, I know with like some of the previous seven series, some of the things were a little bit more confusing. Like there's just lots of steps and lots of buttons to jump through. And I think with like the, my modes, I think they simplified that to where like, Anyone can get in and just be like, oh, theaters. And, you know, it, they, they had that intuitiveness of, of what it would be like. So it was, it was really cool to just how 
all of those features interacted with each other um, all the way down to like the seats and the massaging seats and the nice leather, like it all, it all just worked cohesively together. Did you think, or do you think that the uh, theater screen, it's more of a gimmick or something that's useful in the car? Um, you know, I, I went back and forth on that. Like I, I do feel it was a little bit of a gimmick. Um, but I, I did have people watch things back there, you know? Um, I think the gimmick part of it was maybe, uh, you know, it just this, there's what's the word for it. Um, the aspect ratio, you know? Mm -hmm. So like you have this incredibly wide screen, but I don't think it was fully optimized. Maybe later on down the road with software updates, they might be able to do this. But like, uh, if you notice, like if you watch something, it's just in the middle. So like the sides of the screens weren't being utilized. Um, and it felt like I had a couple of people back there and they brought up the point like, hey, can I have two screens, like one on the right side, one on the left side and two headphones being ran? Um, so like right now, I think it's a little gimmicky because like I said, it's not, I don't think fully optimized as best as it can be. But I think in the future, after a few attempts at it, maybe some software yeah. updates, it could be not gimmicky. I don't recall exactly, but I'm pretty sure that you can optimize, you can actually change the, the aspect ratio. So you can go from a 16 by nine to a 32 by something. So you can actually change the form and more squarish, more rectangle and all of that. It also comes down probably to um, the, uh, which, uh, which streaming service you're using and, and mm -hmm. if the actual content has been shot in that particular aspect ratio. But I think you can customize that. Um, I know for sure that you can't do a split screen, so you can't do the split screen yet. But um, yeah, the, the other thing I, th I think is definitely customizable. Um, from my point of view, I feel like it's a good addition for uh, for for the car if you do like a like a long road trip. Clearly, um, what I would like to see in that car is really using the the iDrive operating system um, in the back as well. So right now they have two different operating systems. You have the Fire TV that operates the back, mm -hmm. and then you have the front. It's the iDrive, so it's a little bit confusing because you're not able to control anything from the front to the back. And I think the, um, they might change that in the future, where basically everything goes to the BMW operating system. And then they just have, you know, different apps on top of it. And that might make the experience a little bit more interesting. I have had a chance to really test the um, video conferencing and all of that. I think that's a cool feature, but I guess you have to activate the T-Mobile 5G plan. So we haven't done that, but that'll be interesting to actually see because that's cool. I mean, to do some video calls, I, I find that to be maybe even more interesting than actually watching content on it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if it's, if you are those one of those executives that gets driven around town um you know and, and it, it's something that could be definitely be utilized um i did notice that there was even a a, a camera on the front side to where you could pop in and see uh, or sorry not the front side but the front seats mm -hmm. to where you can do that type of stuff as well so mm -hmm. I, I do like that integration i think that's definitely looking forward um and being able to better better you know be future proof on some things um which you know it's always Achilles heels with, with tech and cars is that it feels quickly outdated. So I, I feel like a lot of that stuff that they put into this is definitely looking forward to where it could be, you know, won't feel uh, old in the near future. What did you think about the, um, the V8 engine? Do you feel like it's underpowered? It's got enough power for the car size and all of that. I thought it's about right. It's about what I was expecting. Um, it, it wasn't mind boggling, but it was still, uh, very good. Got up to speed really quickly. Um, it was very smooth. 
It is smooth. Um, it's super smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't wouldn't say Rolls Royce esque, but it mm-hmm. definitely leaned more that way than traditional BMW. And then I think that's goes into that whole the whole packaging of everything that I was talking about. It just seems like everything is so working together. And one of those is that you know that engine. Uh, you don't. You definitely will doesn't feel underpowered at all. Um, but like I said, it's not mind boggling. But it's smooth. It's quick. It gets up to speed on the freeways incredibly easily. Um, kind of like almost on like the EV side of things, where you're just like, oh wow, I'm, I'm going really fast and didn't even notice, you know. So yeah. um, I, I think it's just a great all round uh, luxury car right now. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Rolls Royce, and I know that with the fourth generation goes, there were a lot of you know, platform sharing between the 7 Series and the Ghost, and then Rolls-Royce went completely on their own platform. It's called the Architecture of Luxury, so really a bespoke platform for their own products. And it's the same case right now. They're completely different platforms, the 7 Series and the Rolls-Royce Ghost. But I can see that there are some lessons learned. They've been applied mm-hmm. from the from the Ghost into the 7 Series. I think even the, the planner suspension system, you know, there's some lessons there that went into the 7 Series because it does have that more floaty, more luxurious, you know, driving aspect and definitely the smoothness of the engine as well. So even though they're completely, you know, different products and I guess they run the companies kind of differently or completely separately in many, many ways, of course, they do share, you know, knowledge and all of that. But uh, yeah, it just, like you said, very, very smooth engine. Sometimes even driving like on the highway, um, I, I did a really long trip with the car and I felt like I was in an I-7 really. At some, some point it was so well... Yeah isolated from the outside the sound the, the cabin i was like hmm, is this a is this a nice seven is this a seven series so um that was that was really really nice yeah it's it is a it's a great place to be for a long road trip definitely um it it's just so comfortable um and yeah that it, you're right at, at some point like it feels when you're in comfort mode it was just whisper quiet it was mm-hmm. super nice yeah, let's see what happens with the facelift. I guess there is a facelift coming out soon. Uh, I think 2025. Yeah, it should be 2025 probably. And I think they're going to change the design a little bit. Apparently, it's a it's a major facelift, so it's not going to be just lights and that. So they might change a little bit of the front end as well. So I'm kind of kind of curious to see because that's really that's really the only complaint with the seven series today. People just complain about the the front end design, but other than that. It's, it's probably the best 7 Series they've ever made. It is closer to the S-Class than ever before. Um, it, it's a really good overall product, but it's yeah, it's, it's just a front-end design that's, uh, that's polarizing and not everybody likes it. I like it in certain colors, but not in all of them. But yeah. we did see a cool uh, two-tone uh, 7 Series or i7 test fast it was like a violet mm-hmm. and black or something like that it was beautiful i remember the color name but it was so and so nice yeah it's uh, uh every like i said everyone that i that i showed it to ended up loving it no one even like i think the people complaining about the looks are definitely people probably not even buying it though um it's a lot of those enthusiasts <laughs> yeah exactly true. um because yeah literally uh I didn't get anyone like a, Oh, that front end. Like mm-hmm. it never happened when yeah. I had it. Um, yeah. everyone was just kind of like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of, kind of scoff at that a little because it's, it's probably one of those things that just, you know, it, it's an enthusiast gripe, you know? Yeah. 
Exactly. I always say this, you know, I'm, I'm not a typical seven series customer. Um, I don't think that even if I were to spend that much money on a car that I'll buy the seven series, I'll probably buy maybe a M8 Grand Coupe or an A series Grand mm -hmm. Coupe or something like that. It's more of my style, but, but I can't really, I can't really, uh, find it any faults really with the overall product. I, I think they really stepped up the game when, when it comes to the luxury aspect of the car. Yeah, and I think you you brought up something that popped into my mind when you said it was like the best one built. And I'm, I just keep thinking back to that previous one. And that one was definitely probably very gimmicky. You know, yeah. it had, it was the first one with all the gesture controls and just like a bunch of, they just threw everything in the kitchen sink in there, right? Yeah. Like it had so many new features and so many things. And none of, it was just, here's a whole bunch of new tech, you know? Yeah. And it just, it felt like they were just trying whatever, whatever they could put into it, they could put into it where this time around, it was like, well, okay, that doesn't quite work. Let's put it this way, you know, and kind of learn from that to where they've kind of made that made it into what it is. And yeah, I, I agree. It's definitely probably the best luxury sedan that they, they've built. Uh, it, it's fantastic. What I liked about the previous generation though, was the M760 Li and I, the V12. Mm-hmm. So I was actually, I was, I was hoping to, I was searching actually earlier this year for one of the last, um, um, builds. I mean, they had this, um, 12 units run for the U S with the V12. And I was trying to find one of those the last edition to kind of do a test drive on it because I still love that V12. So I was hoping to get one in, but it has yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic engine. Yeah. All right. So, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about some electric stuff. Cause I guess that's kind of the topic in 2023 and moving forward so <laughs> last episode i guess i talked about my bmw ix m60 long-term press car which for people that don't know it just means that i get to keep the car for a few months versus a week which gives me the opportunity to really test the car as a normal customer and really play with all the features there are instances you know where i get a car for a week and i don't have time to find all the tech features in the car all the Things, if you like yeah and with this car i finally finally experienced the car as a customer right so now i can really play with all the features i find new features all the time that i'm like oh is, was that even there before <laughs> so uh, of course I, I i focus quite a bit lately on charging i still feel like uh with the electric product it's all about charging more than the range um i rarely talk about the range anymore because i'm more concerned like can i find a charging station to quickly charge it and get what i need so um, I set up a, a test charge uh, two days ago. I guess it was quite cold in Chicago. It went quite cold. It wasn't that cold. It was like 50 Fahrenheit, 51. That's what? That's about, I'm trying to do the math, like 10 Celsius yeah, maybe? Like 9, 10? Yeah. Sounds yeah, about right. Some, somewhere around that. Um, I always do like 50 minus 32 divided by 2. That's kind of like a rough. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, somewhere around that. And... Um, and I wanted to charge it from 10 to 80% because that's really the optimal uh, range for charging. So um, I had to find a charging station that was 350 kilowatts. I wanted to make sure that I get the full uh, potential of the car, basically, because uh, it can do 195 kilowatts. There are a bunch of 150 kilowatts charging stations, but there are also some Electrify America that can do 350. I found a charging station. Of course, it was occupied. I had to drive in this parking lot by the mall for about an hour to bring it down to 10%. And I was like, I was, I started like around 16%, <laughs> 16 or 17%. And I was like, 
when I'm concerned about the range, it feels like it's always <laughs> going down quickly. And now I'm like, what's going on? So I was like pushing the car. Like I was, I was doing like quick sprints, you know, with the car in sport mode. I was running the AC, the, the heating of like 84 Fahrenheit in the car. I was really trying to bring that down. And it took me like, a, like almost an hour of driving in the parking lot of a mall to bring it down to 10%. It's kind of like, what's that, so, that old saying? A watch pot never boils, you exactly, know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I bring it out to 10%. I go to the charging station. Of course, it's occupied. I'm like, great. <laughs> so then I wait a little bit longer and uh, I finally plug in and, and I start a test. I recorded the whole thing. I just published a YouTube video. Um, it, it's fairly scientific. So I guess I wanted to show the starting at, at uh, 10%. I wanted to show the charging um, every five minutes. So I did increments of five minutes, basically, with some commentary in between. And um, here are some thoughts basically on that. So I guess the one thing that's interesting that I was able to go from 10 to 51% or 50% in about 15 minutes, that translates into about 100 miles of range. Of course, I mentioned in the video, it was not the optimal uh, outside temperature. So I guess if it was a little mm -hmm. bit in the you know 70 to 80 degrees area, the battery pack would have been, the thermos in the battery pack would have been even better optimized to accept the quick charge immediately. But I started like around 190, 191 kilowatts, quickly went up to 195, stayed there for a little bit, I guess like five to 10 minutes. And then it started to drop quickly to like 170. But what I wanted to see was really how many miles can I get in in 10, 15 minutes? Because that's a that's an okay time to wait for the car yeah. to charge, you know, because you can go inside and maybe grab a drink, come out yep. a few minutes later, you can just unplug and, and leave. So um, so not bad, honestly, because I feel like, you know, 100 miles in, in 15 minutes, in that temperature, it was not bad at all. But I found out that there, that there is a new uh, charging curve in the BMW iX. So I emailed BMW to learn more about that. So the i5 and the i7, when they came out, they had this uh, charging curve, which kind of ramps up quickly. It goes up a lot faster. And you can get more miles into the car within the first 10 minutes. Okay. And they rolled out this update to the iX M60 as well. And essentially what I was told is that, um, if I recall correctly, that you're saving about three minutes of, of charging um, uh, if the temperature stays in between 15 Celsius to 23 Celsius. And I guess that's, you know, the optimal range, 70 to 80 Fahrenheit. So you're saving about three minutes there. And then I also learned that um, if you're sharing a, let's say, 150 kilowatts charging station, you have two cars plugged in, sometimes those charging stations, they cut off the power in in, in half. So they just split yeah. the power between two cars and essentially you will get 70, 75 kilowatts in your car. But if the other car disconnects and leaves, the car would never go back to the full 150 kilowatts. Mm. It, would, it would stay on the 70. Yeah, very interesting. I never thought about that. And apparently they fixed this in this new... In this new variant so um yeah so that's one of that's one of the big updates and there was one more i guess uh, let me see what was the last one because we just wrote an article today on this i don't remember the last one but there was one more interesting update I'll tell you right now Let's see if i can find it uh something related also to charging from 10 to 80 percent i would say though uh 15 minutes for 100 miles yeah I, i'm with you i'd say that's acceptable you know yeah um so here's the like last update said, yeah go ahead i was just gonna say yeah you basically jump in grab some starbucks or something and you know or and go i mean mm -hmm. 100's more than enough it, most people aren't going to be driving that 
very often, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. 30, 40 miles a day on average. So, I mean, that, yep, that's totally exactly. acceptable. Exactly. So the last update, because I'm not sure people know, but if you, if you charge your car, you can also see the charging uh, graph curve in your My BMW app mm-hmm. or, like, or Electrify America app. And you can see um, the charging rate, where it starts, when it starts to drop. And then you will see by the time you reach 40, 50%, it goes down to 70, 80 kilowatts, sometimes even lower. But um, I guess what they've done with this one was the fact that with this new update, that it says that uh, let's say you have a high state of charge, which BMW considers that over 40% in the battery. It says that your IX will now charge at a maximum speed for the first few minutes, even when in cold temperatures before taping it off. So instead of kind of trying to maintain the battery life or to mm-hmm. prolong the battery life, they're trying to give you maximum charge immediately, even if you started at a high state of charge, basically. So the goal is really there. The customer just want to plug in quickly, five, 10 minutes, get enough miles yeah. to kind of drive off and um, and find the next charging station if if needed. So those updates were rolled out to the IXM60. I have a 2024. I'm trying to find out if um, this will be rolled out to maybe 2023 models, 2022, if it's if it needs special hardware, which I don't think so. I think just a software update. So I'm I'm just actually actually, actually waiting to get an uh, an update on that um, on which cards will get when, what's the software update code and all that on all of that. But um, that'd be a good interesting test. Yeah. So to to summarize this, I guess I went from ten to eighty percent in about thirty five minutes. That's exactly okay. what they said. So um, that was kind of what I expected. I think before it was a little bit more. It's close to like forty minutes, forty one minutes. So definitely save some time there. But honestly, I always tell people if you get to eighty percent, don't use the fast charging station because the the rate just drops quickly. The charging rate, you're yep. just wasting time there. I mean, I, I guess to go from eighty percent to hundred percent, it was showing me another forty five minutes, and I'm like, that's too long. So just unplug, plan your route, find the next fast charging station, and you you're actually saving time by by just stopping one more time for fifteen minutes versus waiting to go from eighty to hundred percent. If you exactly. really need to, if you really need to use all the other range from eighty to hundred percent, then of course just Find a just just find a level two charging station, and uh, fifty kilowatts or lower, whatever that is, mm-hmm. and and just plug in and just charge there, and you're probably gonna save money too, and it's gonna be the same really charging time as the DC fast charge. But yeah, very interesting one with the IX. Yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see over time, um, the usability of all that. Like we said last time, right? Uh, was uh, was this one of your first times with Electrify America? Uh, no, I've I've actually used it, but it was my first time. I've used it before because they have the it it has the two free uh, the two year free plan. Mm, that's right. So I tried to use it as much as possible for this test. I didn't use it because I was afraid that's going to cut up for thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. They have a thirty minutes uh, free plan basically, and and I knew it's going to take a little bit more than thirty minutes. So I ended up having to pay like forty dollars to um, to do this test um, instead of charging for free. But uh, but I didn't want it, uh, <laughs> the the charge station to cut off for thirty minutes and kind of ruin the whole test. Yeah. So I I. I splurged basically, and uh, yeah, so that it cost me forty dollars basically to go from ten to eighty percent. But it was the first time that I was using Electrify uh, America with the three hundred fifty kilowatts. I only, mm-hmm. I only saw a couple other ones in Chicago land area. There is an EVgo, but there is another Electrify America. So, of course, everybody's trying to charge there, which was interesting though because I saw some cars uh, charging there that they're not taking full advantage of the three fifty. So that kind of sucks sometimes because you have these cars. I was looking at somebody that was charging right next to me. I it was a japanese car i don't remember which japanese car it was honestly but it was only it was a smaller car it was only charging like at 50 kilowatts i was like oh man we just 
yeah, this shortage station. I, I feel yeah. as more and more come out, it's like yes, they they customers kind of know, but I feel like there needs to be a, a better way to uh, identify if you're fully using the capabilities of it. Like, um, I don't know if it should be built into the app. Be like, hey, you're not going to use the full usability of this charger. Could you please use this one? We'll give you an incentive, you know, to not use the fast charge, right? Because um, yeah. I keep hearing these stories over and over again that it's like, well, that car can't even utilize that charging speed, right? So um, yeah, it feels a lot of people like, don't know, yeah, yeah. It just feels like it's going to get as it gets more and more out there. Um, there needs to be some some incentive or way to inform customers to to not hog a fast charger, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like especially with, with this type of installation they have there. I mean, uh, I think there is a, a, a mix of 150 and 350 in a different location and only one or two of them are 350. I guess they should just price them differently, right? So mm -hmm. I would I, but I would, I would make the price difference significant that, that whoever, you know, decides to use the cheaper version, they feel like they're really saving money on this, you know, by maybe wasting an extra two, three minutes or five minutes mm -hmm. of, of, of charging. But absolutely, I think there should be an incentive to use the, the the slower charging especially if you don't really need the full thing you know and uh, and people yeah i mean in 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 this case it also sucked because you know i could have just plugged in for 10 minutes get enough miles in and then leave versus these guys or this you know drivers they don't maybe don't they don't know all these details which is normal because still fairly new to yeah. everyone even to us they just sit there for like i don't know 45 minutes so you're just waiting 45 minutes for someone to just kind of slowly get to 80 percent you know versus let me charge for 10 15 minutes you can plug in and so i don't know it's 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 a it's a tough one i mean I, I find it more difficult now not having the range extender that i need to plan all of these things a lot more than before i also learned that uh, the the i4 the ix and all the other being you know, electric cars are quite smart i'm sure the other brands do the same thing but you can actually um, set up your uh, your home location to your preferred charging station. So let's say if it's nearby your home, you can set it up that that will be your home location. So uh, when you get close to the charging station, um, it starts to precondition the battery. Hmm. So it's it's ready to accept you know the 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 best charging rate basically once you get to the charging station. So that's an interesting thing I just found out. Somebody on on Instagram just pointed that out, and so thank you for the for the tip. Was a was a BMW sales advisor. I don't remember that dealership name, but that's quite interesting. So I, I'm gonna try to use that more and more. But yeah, there are those nuances you know that you learn when you live with the car. But once again, I, I I could care less about the range. I care more about let me find more charging stations. Let me yeah. plug in for ten minutes. I don't need more than that, honestly. Even fifteen minutes, a hundred miles, in my use case, I can go. I can use a hundred miles for at least four or five days. So honestly, it's good enough. Even if it was two three days, it's still it's still pretty good for me. And I'm yeah, assuming a lot of people exactly. So I mean, fifteen minutes to so let's say. For a whole week of driving around, you spend half an hour charging, like out and about. I mean, that's totally, totally acceptable to me. Exactly. I mean, it takes, you know, ten minutes to get a tank of gas. So, I mean, in mm. reality, that's that's not bad, not bad at all. Yeah, and I have friends that make fun of me because they they see me sometimes, you know, just being parked there and charging, like, and I and I tell them, I said, you know, those fifteen twenty minutes that I'm sitting there, I'm actually doing some work in like in the car i can respond to emails i can post mm -hmm. something on social media i can do a lot of things it's not like i'm sitting in the car not doing anything basically yep. so instead of sitting at home and doing that 
I'm just sitting in my car charging and doing all of this. So most of the time, it doesn't really bother me if I'm there for 30 minutes. I'm definitely going to do something. I'm going to do some work or respond to something, you know. So it's really not that bad. And I've seen people that just, especially in the mall areas or the mall parking lots, you can just go inside the mall, have a coffee, come back. It's totally fine. You don't always have to be on on the go and you know, rush all the time. So. Exactly. And like, like you, like you just said a moment ago, like you, you, you end up planning a little bit more and as you get more experience with it, you kind of just learn. I mean, you've owned an i3 for a long time. So you, you learn like which shopping centers have a charger that you, you like to utilize or is more, more likely to be free. So you end up shopping there more often, you know, mm-hmm. um, it just, it's not that like you're constantly looking, you just eventually learn where, where, where the best places are for you. And that just kind of just changes. That's it. Yeah. And they're constantly evolving and, and adapting to this new reality of electric cars. I'll give you one more example that I did with the i4 uh, recently. That's got a 195 kilowatts charging rate as well. And there was one charging station. There was a 150 kilowatts Electrify America. There was maybe, let's say, two miles away. And then there was another one that was four miles away. But the four miles away one was the 350 kilowatts. So then I started to do the math. I was like, hmm. So let's see with traffic. <laughs> so it actually, it, it would have taken me, I remember that day, it would have taken me about eight min, eight extra minutes to get to the 350 kilowatts charging station. I looked at them at the same time, like in the app to see if they're open and they're both open. And I actually drove to the 350 kilowatts one because I realized that, that I'm actually probably, actually, I, it's not a scientific task, but based on what I saw, I think I saved some time Mm-hmm. Uh, by driving to the one that was a little bit further by, by, by charging with 350. Of course, I have to account for the round trips, all of that. So maybe it's going to be a wash like in the end. But, uh, but that's an interesting test that I want to do, actually, when, I, when I'm really going to measure the time that I'm saving by driving to a further charging station that's more capable of delivering kilowatts mm-hmm. than, than the slower one. So you're constantly thinking about things like that. <laughs> Before, I'll be like, I, I don't really care. I have a range extender. Worst case scenario, I could just plug in a couple of, uh, just drop in a couple of gallon of gas, and I should be good to go. So I do but miss this, my three from that perspective. <laughs> that, but that's why that's why it's nice to have a, a long term loaner, right? So now you can you can yeah. experiment with these and and have a better input on, for people. Yeah, this is really my first experience with a BMW press car or or a or a test car that I really really play around with the car. Uh, with all the features and all these things before, like I said, you know, you have one week, you usually focus on the driving experience, on the space, maybe inside the car, you touch a little bit like on the tech, but you don't really spend a lot of time talking about charging with electric cars, unless you're an electric uh, centric channel, maybe, or a YouTube channel. So, um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm learning quite a few things. I mean, um, I'm, I'm constantly, you know, searching for things like I'm like, I'm like on our website today, I might have not you know, remembered or even on some forums and YouTube videos to learn more about this new reality of, um, of electric cars. And then this is actually uh, a good segue into the next uh, trip that I'm planning, hopefully next week. You know, it's a, it's low week, you know, holidays and all of that. Of course, I'm, I found myself a new project. So I plan on, on, on driving, um, I plan on fully charging the IXM60 to 100% and then do a complete loop on the highway at 70 miles per hour, you know, average speed and see um, how many miles will I get till I get to zero uh, percent. Of mm. course, a lot of people have done this like in the past. It's yeah. nothing new. A lot of, you know, like I said, electric centric channels do this. Yep. But it, 
being Chicago, it's going to be a little bit coldish. So mm-hmm. I want to see the the influence on the range uh, with cold weather. I have a I have a good baseline because I drove the car on a, in doing a road trip when it was perfect weather, like 75, 80. So now this will be a good test to see um, what's what's the difference there. So of course I have to plan on um, this trip around a, a charging station close to a highway. So when I get to maybe one two percent, pull into the parking lot there maybe 1%, drive around a little bit when I get to 0%, be really close to the charging station. <laughs> um, because I don't know for sure. With the IXM60, someone told me that um, it's unclear when it goes below the, I, I guess the the buffer, it's like 2% or something like that. Okay. If it goes below that 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 2%, if the car will be able, to, if you're going to be able to put a car into the drive mode mm. to push the car to a charging station, or you're just really not going to be able to move the car at all and you need to get a, a flatbed to pull it in. Um, of course, I can also, you know, just cut off at 10%, at, at 0% and, and just plug in immediately, knowing that there's probably a few miles left. I've seen some videos, I think Kyle from Out of Spec did this one, where he drove uh, on, this, on 0% charge, and I think he got about 11 miles still out of it, which is... Oh, dang. Yeah, so, that's, so that's the buffer that I said, like, two, like, like 2%. You're getting a bunch of warnings and all of that, but yeah. I'm probably not going to take that chance with the cold weather and all of that. So I'll probably just when it gets to 0%, I'll do a quick driving in the parking lot and then kind of pull in and I'll, and I'll add that caveat that maybe there is another few miles left in it. That'd be basically. interesting. Yeah. So that'll be an interesting test. I mean, it's going to be boring to drive on the highway <laughs> 70 miles per hour into a loop, <laughs> but um, yeah, five hours later, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> New project. <laughs> Bring some podcasts with yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was, I was thinking the other day, I, I saw Kyle, speaking of Kyle, he's, he's great when it comes to the electric stuff. And uh, and Kyle, he usually um, video streams this on YouTube. So he does like a live stream of the entire drive and all of that. So hey, like, that's kind of interesting. Who would want to watch a five-hour live stream showing the the odometer and <laughs> all of that? It's Sounds a little bit wild. You never know. Let's give it a <laughs> yeah. shot. Yeah, I don't know. I might have to do that. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be a very boring drive for five hours. But yeah, I'll, I'll try that. I'll re- I'll report on that next. And then I also yeah. filmed the um, I also filmed a normal review of the car. What it means to leave the car to drive with the car, interior space, car seats, all of that. There is an interesting test that that I want to do. With it's called the banana uh, test. There is this guy out of Norway. Uh, Bjorn Tesla or Tesla Bjorn or Bjorn Tesla, really, really a uh, nice guy, and uh, he does really fantastic job with EV stuff. And he always does this banana box test, or basically tries mm, to fit yeah. as many banana boxes in the car as possible. And um, I might try to replicate that, or I try to find a. I'm still trying to figure out what's the what's the average box or packaging box size in the U.S. or the or the most common one, like the the UPS boxes that people use constantly. So what I can try to do that test to see how many I can fit in the car and give people a better idea of the space. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Uh, things like that. So, yeah, that's the IXM60. All right, so last topic. Let's do another 10 minutes of this, maybe. Uh, Tesla Cybertruck. So big topic, right? I mean, everybody talks about this. We've seen some fantastic videos. I, yep. I talked to uh, Jason Kamisa. I saw him recently at a BMW event, and I told him that he's... Tesla Cybertruck video was fantastic. I was it's like, really this good. is unbelievable. And I said, you know, it must be nice to have a huge video production crew. He's like, <laughs> nope. He's like, there are actually four, four people shooting the whole thing, including him. 
So they literally have, you know, a guy that does the drone, does multiple, you know, video angles and all of that. So really just four people. I really thought it was like 20, 30 people, honestly, based on the production value. Yeah. It's his, yeah, they're, whatever they're doing, they're doing great because their videos are amazing. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't seen this Tesla Cybertruck video, it's fantastic. I mean, the, 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 the script is great. Jason is super funny, very knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. Uh, loved, loved, loved the video. And uh, he also shared quite a few interesting things about the Tesla Cybertruck. So uh, let's start with this. Tell me what you think about the car from a design perspective, technology, market fit, all of that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's not for me. I'll say that. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I, I, I'm not... I'm not one of those people that's very, I'm not flashy. I don't care what, what people think about, about what I, uh, what I'm have or own or drive really. Um, so it's very much a look at me type truck to me. Um, I do think there's some really cool technology. Obviously some of the stuff it, it can do is amazing, but that's, you know, that's, that's what we expect from, uh, an electric car company that's been pushing the boundaries for, you know, 15 years now. So, I mean, uh, it, it to see that uh, it, what it can do with its speed and how much it can tow and things like that. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I expect. It's got some really cool features. Um, I think for me though, what really kind of uh, made me not, not like it as much, and I think everyone's pretty much touched on this, is it, it's not what was promised, right? You know, three, four years ago, it was promised, you know, it was like a 500 mile range at like $40,000. And now it's a typical 350 mile range, 70,000 starting. So it's like, at, at first it was like, oh, wow, it's a huge difference. Um, and, but now it just kind of fell right into what, what everyone was kind of expecting. So I think that kind of, it, you know, took the air out of the balloon for me on that. Um, but I think the cool, interesting part to me um, is I'm starting to see, and I think Camisa's videos really demonstrated it really well is like this, the crash, the crash safety stuff and like how stiff that chassis is, which kind of interests me on an engineering standpoint, because that's what crumple zones were all kind of, you know, that's where we got into with all of those is cars used to not crumple. Now we've added crumple zones for like safety and passenger safety and all that. And now we've gone back to not crumpling. How's that work? You know? Yeah. Yeah. There is a whole, there is a whole Twitter thread on this. Somebody posted and it was like, there were a lot of people um, chiming in and talking about this. Um, if it's a safe car or not, I'm, I'm not an expert in any of this test. Honestly, I don't know much about that. I, I did get into that and trying to read more and more. So there's split opinions on it. Um, so I don't know that the jury is still out on that. Some people say that it's, it's a lot safer this way. Some people say it's not because look at the, look at the video test that they mm -hmm. put out where, where you, where you see, you know, how the, uh, the passenger will be affected by that and the driver and all of that. So I don't know yet, honestly, but apparently I also saw the, um, uh, smoking tire podcast. Okay. Yeah. Matt yep. Farah. Yeah. So it's actually a really good one. It talks about, he gets into a little bit of a beef with Jason Camisa. I mean, like on the fun way, I think they just filmed another podcast together to kind of go back and forth on some of the topics. Very interesting one, but he was mentioning also how the, um, the Tesla Cybertruck apparently or allegedly it's not yet your know, crash test for Europe. So he's not sure if they can sell it there or not. So maybe just a U.S. car because I guess our regulation are a little more lax when it comes to that. 
Yep. So um, I honestly, like, I don't know much about that. I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. But that was that was that was the one thing that I got out of that podcast. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, uh, there's still a lot of questions, right? It's been three and a half, four years, and there's still a bunch of questions. So it's just, I, I think that's kind of killed killed it for me. Where I think an um, MKBHD uh, Marcus Brownlee, I think made a, a good statement uh, in his videos, where like if they would have been like. Uh, like Apple or anything like that. And they're like, and this is available for order in like three weeks, like completely different world. Like it would have been, I think I would have been like, that's amazing. That's crazy. They have a cool design and it's out there and they're getting it out there, but it, it took all this time. And now there's all these questions and things like this with safety. And then now there's videos, you know, coming out showing that it, I mean, obviously it could be very cherry picked, but it's not very well at, at, at navigating off-road situations, right? Yeah, I'm sure everyone's seen that, yeah. the, the snow one recently with the Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did see that. It was a funny interaction with the F-150, I guess it was. was yeah. Where, where it's using a winch yeah. to pull it out, which, yeah. you know, I mean, coming from automotive backgrounds, we know that a lot of that comes down to tires. Um, yeah, exactly. So like, who knows what kind of, like it could have been on, I think it was still one of the RC candidates. So it like could have been on some old worn tires, who knows, sure. but I yeah, mean, exactly. uh, it, it just, I think all the time between when it was announced and where it's actually rolling out now is, is what's going to be a huge detriment for this personally. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, you know, Elon Musk or Tesla realized that it's not easy to build certain cars, but of course I have, I have to give it to them. And I talked to some BMW engineers off the record as well recently, and they're, they're all impressed what they achieved though. I mean, there, there are a lot of technology investments in that Cybertruck that will mm -hmm. push other automakers to do a lot of new things. Yep. Um, you know, Camisa touched on a few of them, like, you know, steer by wire. It's one of mm -hmm. them. There is this idea of a range extended battery that's extra embedded into the flatbed. So yep. there, there's quite a few innovations in there uh, definitely worth watching these videos to learn all about them but i think it's going to push other automakers to to do similar things also the interior design right now is so simple it's even more simplified than before you still have this big tablet but even that that uh, ui ux is a little bit different than before so i'm curious if that's going to influence anybody else but um honestly i'm, I'm telling you even some bmw designers that i talked to them off the record very recently they, they they were impressed with the car and they said even for design they're happy because they it, it pushes the boundaries uh yep. it gives them more freedom to design interesting products maybe not as crazy as the cyber truck but it just lets them have more freedom versus the typical car design it's an evolution not a revolution and all of that um and then with that topic you know you you also mentioned the price point right so now it gets into a price point where it becomes a luxury pickup truck right so you have you know the rivian they're a little bit more expensive you have this the question is will any of these german automakers including bmw will they try to chase this new market will this new segment grow big enough the bmw will say one day hey you know we want to build a luxury pickup truck of course with the bmw dna and all of that and will people buy it so that's kind of one of the the topics that i want to talk to you about do you think like bmw should even consider something like this in the future well uh i'm here in seattle i see rivians all over the place really okay yes um so popular yeah very popular um, obviously, you know, we get a lot of bad weather, things like that. You know, so like, uh, we, we do get a lot of Subarus and SUVs around here and things like that, obviously. Um, so having an electric luxury vehicle like that, um, it's filling that void. 
Um, and I see, I see multiple a day, um, yeah. which kind of surprised me at first. Cause I mean, it's still fairly new. Um, but I, I think there's a huge, a huge opportunity right there um, for certain, for certain markets. I definitely do. I mean, we see, uh, you know, F-150 being the number one sold truck. Um, and I think, I think there is that opportunity. Uh, Rivian's kind of shown that they could, you could have a luxury truck and get it sold. My only question is though, is there are reports now of like the lightning, like them rolling back production numbers and things like that. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, are they finding out something that the market really actually isn't there? Or is it just the overall EV market kind of slowed down yeah. a little bit? So it kind of cooled off. So it could be also that, but just to go back on the previous point, I feel like with the Rivian, the first time that I saw the the R1T in Chicago, I, I talked about this actually in a previous podcast, and I think I also talked about it in, in some articles, and Nico did as well in, in the past, that I said that it's it's a cool car, that I would I would buy the car mm-hmm. only because it's cool, not because I'm definitely not a pickup truck guy. I'm absolutely not. I have no use for it. I will never use the, the flatbed or the space in the back clearly not but it, yeah. it looks it looks so cool that i'll consider that car as a daily driver just because it's cool looking right yep. and it's different so i do wonder if there are a lot of people like me that they never consider this and they're buying I mean, especially in chicago the people that i saw them driving there is no way they're working construction anywhere they're just like people wearing suits you know going to the office mm-hmm. you know and they and they just like the car and and i feel like i'm 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 the same way so when we talked about this in previous articles we said okay it's not the bmw dna to build a pickup truck they've done a few fun projects you know for like april fool's day and some yeah. other ones as well and they look interesting and cool but then again if you roll back to 2001 whenever that was or 99 2000 when the x5 was conceived nobody thought that bmw yeah. should do an x5 right i mean it just seemed like like crazy right You're going from very small <laughs> tiny cars to this big car you know heavy and all of that it's not very bmw like so the question is if this market keeps growing um should i even consider it or should i just kind of wait around and see what others are doing and then trying to steal market share i'm not sure but with the fact that they have this new platform the new class it, it gives them the opportunity to really build something that's interesting like you don't have to reuse an existing platform you don't have to convert an x7 into something like that you can really build a, a ground a, a truck from ground up maybe replace the ix in the lineup because the ix i don't think it's going to get a second generation from where i know so might as well build a new product and I would, I would i would i would venture to say that based on the feedback that i see out there you know from people and reading that they, that they will sell more pickup truck than they will sell the xm honestly oh uh yes i would totally be on board with that as well um i i, I would definitely start to think about it as well um i mean we're seeing you know a, a lot of off-roading trucks come back you got a lot of people coming back into market um, with like land cruisers and things like that and i think uh, a pickup truck is definitely especially if it's not too big because i think that's one thing that's really you 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 touched on a point that rivians are kind of cool they're they're traditional what i'm going to call a traditional size pickup compared to the trucks nowadays i mean you go look at an F-150 or a Chevy Silverado, they are massive trucks, exactly. you know? And I think that's why people like you and I, BMW owners, things like that, don't buy them. They're just, they're exactly. massive. We don't need that, you know? Yeah. But if you give me like, like that, they, if like in my mind, I always think of those old, those little Toyotas, 
you know, those were amazing. Those are so cool. It's so versatile, you know, and handy um, to where like if BMW produced an electric one of those, it would be very tempting, you know, yeah. um, especially like exactly. you said, if it was based on a new platform and well thought out. Um, I think Rivians do a great job of not only just looking cool, but just incredibly well thought out, you know, like any, t yeah. any, all their features, someone sat down and was like, okay, well, how can we make this useful? How can we make, you know, there's nothing like, like the, the little, the little tunnel in, in it and things like that. They, they utilized every space as well as they could, you know? Um, and yeah, I it's think. definitely function over form design, definitely function yeah. over form design for sure. And and that's, you know, that's a, that's a BMW, a German engineering type to rate as well, you know, like uh, exactly. making sure it's, it's performed as best as it can. So I think if it was, you know, that, that mid size and well thought out like a Rivian, mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think it could be like that new X5 to where like people are like, what are you doing? But then you see them all over the place. Exactly. And I think you nailed on the size. There is a one-off project that was done by BMW with some students on an X7 pickup truck. I, I just posted a photo like recently. I mean, it's an older project, but it's built on the X7. And it, and it looks like you said, like a normal size car by today's standards. And what's nice about that, like, it's the fact that you can you can sell this globally because you're, you're, you're almost never able to, to sell an F-150 in large volumes in Europe, for example. The Europeans don't buy stuff no. like that. I mean, it just, <laughs> it's obnoxious to them from from man, from. For, for many reasons, honestly. Um, and even the X7, it's popular, but not extremely popular there. But then again, this will be a, a global product and that will have to make it that way. Um, it's interesting to see. I mean, I know the people see the BMW, you know, sometimes they're, they're, they're not looking at the entire market or maybe they, they live in a bubble, but they actually do. I mean, there are a lot of people think they, they do a lot of, you know, test clinics and, the executives get to drive com um, competitors' products all the time, and they set up this 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 workshop. So they bring multiple products in, and they look at them, and they analyze them, and all of that. And and, and there is absolutely zero doubt in my mind that BMW has not looked at the um, at the uh, pickup truck, and they definitely did. There is there is zero doubt in my mind. I mean, they they had to look at this. Yeah, and my my brain just starts running me because they could do some really really cool marketing sides of this, right? Like. The current thing that they did with the XM and Pikes Peak, like how cool would it yeah. be to have an an M and like an IM truck racing, like Baja? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's some wild stuff. I mean, they're always going to search for volume and all of that. And the question will come down is, what's what's the volume now? They they, they always look at projects and they and they mm -hmm. green light them based on on the volume. How many will will we need to one break even, and then how many we need to really make profit on them? over you know seven years of production let's say so the question will come down to that what's what will be the market size in the next few years and if they will assess you know if, if it makes sense to go in there i don't know very interesting i mean honestly i, I I'm, I'm i'm torn i'm 50 50 like i like i feel like bmw should also stay true to their you know dna and not try to venture into more crazy products like the xm and all of that but at the same time as if you're on a business and there is a growth opportunity do you want to leave money on the table or do you want to want to be there and do some some products for people that actually want because the customers are are, are changing you know yep. quite a bit and um these trucks are becoming luxury trucks they're expensive i mean yeah you can price it at a hundred thousand dollar pickup truck or more and maybe you are able to sell quite a few they you know that's they make all all those auto manufacturers make a lot of money off the pickup trucks 
Um, you know, you, you have, you don't have all the rear seats and there's a lot less material. Like it's, it, they make money off of them. Um, but you bring up a good point. And I think a lot of people, you know, forget about this is that BMW is a massive automotive manufacturer. So like, if it doesn't produce the numbers, like they're not going to make it. Like we're talking, you know, starting off there with the Z4 and a manual making you know, a couple of thousand sales um, per year, that's incredibly low numbers for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, every, you know, a lot of people think, oh, a few thousand, that's that's pretty good. No, that's nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of, the, one of the topics that I want to focus in 2024 and 2025 quite a bit is, especially with the new uh, factories coming online for new A-classes, I want to find out is if it's cheaper to manufacture EVs in the future. Um, if they're actually going to be able to lower the cost overall producing a car, because that that's going to really open the doors for for future products. Because you know you have a really great platform, you have new batteries, more range. You're going to get the 800 volts architecture. You can charge faster. You can play around with that platform quite a bit and have different sizes and mm-hmm. all of that. No 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 compromises. But it will come down to is it cheaper to manufacture a new classic car versus a combustion power car? Because if it is, then the profits i mean the margins on bmw cars will, will be quite high and then the business case will get pushed forward a lot faster yeah and i would say my guess would be yes i mean as we as we've learned you know um evs have a lot less parts you know there's a, just a, just the number of pieces to go into them is a lot less um and there's i know there's a lot of talk about that right now going forward with um, after sales, you know, like maintenance and things like that, you know, there's just a lot less pieces that wear out as well. So it's just like, uh, I would assume that it would be a lot cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the topic. I don't know. Like, like I said, I'm, I'm torn. I mean, sometimes I think it would be cool. Sometimes I'm like, eh, maybe like maybe <laughs> not just stick to, just stick to what you know best and, and improve what you have today and, um, that, but we'll see, I guess the next few years will, um, determined this is this is odd we've like swapped places usually i'm the (laughs) the one that's uh no change and you're the all about the new new stuff so (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's one of yeah i mean it's i i don't i don't embrace change just for the sake of change basically so it has to make sense in many many ways then again i remember asking you know uh you know designers and engineers in the past and they said that if they ever make something like an off-road you know suv or something like that they will have to make it a bmw way basically so not a copy of a range mm-hmm. rover or a copy of something else right so that's the that's the exciting part of the equation for me right what they could do basically with a brand new product and all of that so i don't have the full insight into that but it would be, be very interesting but i guess i'll We'll just keep an eye on the Cybertruck because that's going to dictate the market, really. I guess if this will be extremely popular, like the Model Y, then I guess you'll see a lot more automakers yep. jumping in and trying to do this. And then you get to a point you're like, oh, well, we're leaving money on the table. We have to do it now. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So they can either do the, they can either go the Apple way where basically they wait for the market to get there and see what others are doing and, and they do it better. Or they can be the first ones out there and... Get that market share so that's always um that's always a tough a tough choice yep all right so i guess that was for today a little bit over one hour so i guess uh, some really interesting topics i guess we might take a break this month until january and then um in general we can we can regroup i can talk about the some cs things then 
And even though I'm not going, um, I did cover some of the tech, the recent tech event in California. So I can, I can go over some of this uh, interesting technologies and then there'll be some interesting things in January as well. Daytona 24 hours and some other cool stuff coming up. Hopefully we drive some more cars where you drive something in, in the winter, maybe like a BMW <laughs> E46 with winter tires and tell people that you really need winter tires. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. So thanks for watching. If you watch this on YouTube, thanks for listening on all the podcast platforms. Once again, if you do have any suggestions for us or topics, I think that we should cover or any guests we should bring on, just uh, send an email to podcast at bmwblog.com or you can find us on all the social media channels and send a message and we will get back to you. And with that being said, happy holidays, everyone, and we will see you next year.